Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is Steve Anderson, the best-selling author of Bezos Letters, The 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. When I first read the book, I earmarked almost every page. Steve, I am absolutely fired up to connect with you today and take us into the mind of Jeff Bezos. Welcome to the show. Well, my pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yes. Obviously, the more Amazon grows, as we talked about, the more you're going to continue to share what they're doing. (laughs) It's fascinating right now. And as we're recording, obviously, challenging times with the virus, coronavirus, and they're having to innovate even more. But you know, I want to get into at least a little bit of the origin of the book, because we're going to look at every letter and write about it. Share how that happened. Well, my background is the insurance industry. First, probably 20 years or so working in insurance agencies, selling insurance, right? Doing kind of all of that. And then got a real interest in technology, right? So all the computers and social media and websites and all that kind of stuff. So 20 years ago, pivoted to helping the industry, primarily insurance agents and brokers, understand new technology coming and how to apply it, how to use it. So research, writing, speaking, consulting is what I've done for the last 20 years. Well, I'd say probably five years ago, as technology continued to develop so rapidly, I came to the realization that the biggest risk businesses face is not taking enough risk, not experimenting, not looking at what's next, not adapting, right? All of those kinds of things. And so actually the first book, Idea, the working title was The Risk Dilemma, right? Is your business taking too much risk or not enough? And so that started me researching and looking at companies who didn't adapt well, right? So some of the names you were familiar with, Blockbuster and Kodak and BlackBerry and now Sears and some of those, and then companies that had done it well and looking at, okay, why? What did they do? What's different? And that's where I came across Amazon, obviously known as inventive and innovative company and across the shareholder letters and read a couple of them. And then literally over probably a three or four day period, I went through and read every single letter in order. So at the time, 20 letters, now they're 21 and actually 22, I'm expecting to come out here in early April. And I realized Bezos literally had laid out what I call hidden in plain sight, his plan for growing Amazon. I say at this point often, I don't know what your listeners think about Amazon. Some people hate them. (laughs) People don't like Bezos at all. They probably use them though. Oh, well, I was going to say most do. (laughs) And I ask people to put that aside because it's hard to argue that they are one of the most successful companies maybe ever, right? My question was, how did he do it? And he laid that out in the letters. And so again, long story, you know, book writing and all of the iterations to finally end up what was published and the 14 principles. So these are my principles that I gleaned out of those letters that I believe Amazon used that any business can use. Now, again, they'll have to adapt. It's unlikely you're going to be the next Amazon. There were some unique things, but that doesn't mean you can't learn from how they have grown. And we certainly are seeing, again, that in experimentation, inventive and innovative nature, even up to today. 
it's fascinating because, you know, risk is something that's probably not talked about as not much in business. You know, you just talk about the similar things growing the business, but not about taking risk, intentional risk. And I think right. as we're seeing the speed of invention, the speed of innovation, risk is everything, but there's no one teaching risk. And right. so I want to get into some of the ideas in the book because I think they're unbelievably practical and we could put it in Amazon terms and how we can use them. So right. I love this one. In my book, I talk about taking small bets, small bets, but you talk about how Amazon and through the letters Jeff shares, bet little on big ideas. I love that because everyone takes some, to an extent some small bets that you really won't lose, you really won't win that much, but bet little on big ideas. Share that one, Steve. At Amazon, they experiment all the time. And so when you hear Amazon shutting something down or it didn't work, that's actually positive for Amazon. They don't see it as a negative. So let me give you a couple of examples of big bets that started out really small. Obviously, Prime, right? Amazon Prime. And it started in the early 2000s. They had experimented with different ways of helping consumers buy more by not having to pay for shipping. That was a barrier, right? That was a friction point for people to buy more because then they'd see, oh, it's $7.95 or it's whatever it is the shipping cost is. I still do that today if I'm shopping online and finally get to that final order page, right? And go, oh, well, it's not that price. It's this price because I have to pay for shipping. The problem was at Amazon is that Bezos said, I want to do free shipping, period. Membership fee, right? They'll pay for it. And everybody at Amazon, all his top leaders said, this is crazy. We can't afford to do that. That fee won't pay for our cost of shipping. But Bezos had an intuitive feeling, what I call gut, right? That if it's better for the customers, it will be better for Amazon and ultimately for the shareholders. And today, it's estimated that Prime members spend 2.4 times as much money at Amazon than non-Prime. And obviously, it's paid off. And now you're seeing, literally 20 years later, Walmart Plus, they're trying to get into it. But Amazon pioneered it, an idea. They started small, but it has turned into one of their big bets. I love it. Now, to give an example, and from your book and just hearing this, we've been talking about the shipping forever. Merchandise for the Savannah Bananas, we're very fortunate. It goes all over the world. And we said, but again, $24 shirt is not $24. It's $30.50 or whatever. Like that's a friction point. So right. we looked at it. We looked at the numbers as an example. We looked at the numbers and we said, all right, how much did shipping cost us last year in overall merchandise revenue? And we looked at it and it was 3%. 3%. Okay. And that's thousands of dollars, but 3%. Right. And we said, all right, if we don't sell any more, we sell the exact same and we lose 3%, will we be okay? And we said, yes. So this past November, we had all free shipping. We don't have the Amazon Prime $99, right. $100. But what happened is our orders have increased almost 25%. And so if there goal, you go, right? Yeah, if your goal is to create more fans, to create more people that want to be into your system, it's a win. Even though it's costing us more per person, we're still getting more people to experience and there's still profit in there. And well, and that's exactly what Amazon experienced was yeah. people bought more when that friction point yes. was removed. Yes. And, and that's a great story. Just you have had that same experience. Again, you start and we're a customer obsession. We can get in that. But Bezos said, none of the big failures matter. Betting on big ideas is the good offense that outweighs all the little ideas that don't work, as you reference. So again, what are some starting points? I love this too, by the way, Steve, I don't know how much you share this, but the play to learn over play to win is amazing. All right, guys, how are we playing to learn right now? We got to win. No, no. What are we learning? So talk about that mindset. Yeah. 
Well, I guess a couple things. One, again, that goes back to this experimentation mindset. In fact, he says several times in the letters, I believe Amazon is the best place for an employee to fail. And that goes back to that very first growth principle of encourage successful failure. That is so counterintuitive for almost every business because you got to win. And if you don't win, you know, you're a failure. But Bezos understood, and I think a lot of reasons why, but Bezos understood then and understands even today that if you're not experimenting, you're not moving the needle. And again, that idea of you bet small, you start experiment small, and you find out where those big ideas are, and then you start betting bigger and bigger. And frankly, that's why the 14 principles are broken into four cycles, right? You test, you build on the successes, you accelerate as you go on, and then you scale as you move forward. So that's the frame around which we've built idea of these growth principles. And I love the starting with the test because I think so much, that's the best place, obviously, to start, but very few companies actually get there. They're too afraid to test. They started Amazon with the free super saver shipping on orders of over $25. What other examples did Amazon, as far as like, hey, we're going to do this bet a little, that may not hurt us, that may be easier for a company to understand? So basically identified three big bets over 25 years now. Prime is one. Amazon Web Services is the other. We can talk about that. But the one I want to talk about is Marketplace, Amazon Marketplace. So again, early 2000s, they were looking to grow and they came up with this idea of allowing third parties, non-Amazon products on their platform. And again, big pushback. How can we do that? And they actually had two failed experiments before they got to Marketplace. The first was Amazon auctions. So they tried to compete with eBay and it was utter failure, right? And again, he writes about that in one of the earlier letters where he says, we had very few people coming to Amazon auctions. I think my mom did, right? (laughs) You know, so he's kind of lighthearted there, but people didn't go to Amazon to auction, to participate in auction. If they're going to do that, they go to eBay. And so they pivoted to what they called Z shops. Z shops was third parties could be on the Amazon website, But it was a whole complete different section of the website where you had to, as a customer, log into a different place. So again, friction. People didn't want to go over there. They wanted to come to Amazon. They finally realized, and again, Bezos pushed this, that you know what? We need to put third-party sellers on exactly the same sales page as we have for our products. And again, think about that. So counterintuitive. Why would you open up something you have built and spent literally millions of dollars building a website, clients coming there to buy stuff from Amazon? Why would you allow third parties to compete directly with you on your own page? Well, I've already said it. I think you know why. If it's better for the customer, it will ultimately be better for Amazon and our shareholders. And so what Bezos says is, if a third-party seller has inventory and we don't, it's better for the customer. If a third-party seller has a better price than we're able to get, it's better for the customer, and it will ultimately be better for us. Now, let's be clear. Amazon gets a commission off of every one of those sales. So they're allowing access, and they're making money in an area they probably wouldn't before, right? And that goes back to the flywheel, and that's principle number six. But the whole idea of more customers coming to the platform is better for Amazon, better for third-party sellers. It allows more negotiation to the manufacturers to reduce pricing, which brings more customers. 
it's that loop, as Amazon calls it, the virtuous cycle that allows customers to come. And again, the success is there. You can't argue with me that Amazon hasn't been successful. Yeah. And the flywheel is a fascinating concept. Very tough to teach. We've been talking about it for months. You're right. And I think people always ask, okay, what's the most important principle? Well, they're 14 and there's a reason <laughs> there's 14, right? It's kind of like asking, which child do you love best? Yeah. But I would have to say, if I really had to pick, I would say the flywheel probably is the most important one. And exactly what you just said, I think it's the hardest one to grasp, to learn, to put into practice. But if you can get it and really understand it, you look at Amazon, their flywheel is still driving their business. Everything they do, you can bring back to the flywheel they created in the early 2000s. And they started the flywheel as the lowest possible prices? Well, for them, yes. Yeah. So kind of the core is, well, actually, three customer pillars that Bezos identifies at Amazon. Wide selection, low prices, fast delivery. Now, that's Amazon. That doesn't mean, for example, your business should be low prices. Yeah. But what is that pillar for your business? Yes. Right? And that's where I think the difficulty comes trying to get your head around, okay, what is our flywheel? And it can take a while. That could get us going for a while. I, I want to stay, <laughs> stay on the customer obsession and yes. you know, think about things that are counterintuitive. You know, I thought back to a few years ago when we said fans can bring food into our stadium. And it's like, well, that's so counterintuitive. You charge oh. food, but again- So you make your money, right? Yes, but we have all-inclusive food. So if you're actually bringing in food anyways, it actually doesn't hurt us as much. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you think about those things, what is the best possible experience and solution-focused over problem-focused. Bezos wants to solve problems before they happen. How does that go into maybe the testing or the building this customer obsession? Well, one of the phrases Bezos uses a lot is, we invent on behalf of the customer. Mm. And he actually says this, there is no customer that asked for Prime, but we internally said, what can we do to make the experience better? Mm. Right? And in your case, I'd love to talk to you and ask you some questions because you intuitively knew that a friction point right, for people coming to a game mm -hmm. was just like the friction point of going to the movie is you want some popcorn, you want a drink, you want something else. And now it's not the movie, it's all these other things. So that's a friction point, mm. right? And frankly, movies, you, entertainment, you're competing against 60 inch in somebody's family room, aren't you? A lot more convenient. A lot more convenient. Why should I go to the ballpark? Well, in your case, because I can be entertained, I can have a good time with the family, it, right? all of those reasons. So you've removed some of that friction. But inventing on behalf of the customer is the core of customer obsession. I'm so fascinated with why he used the word obsession, right? Because most businesses think about customer focus, customer experience, customer service, right? All of those kinds of things. And for Bezos, from the very first letter in 1997, use the word obsession. And that's just a different context, a different mindset of how to think about what you do for customers. And this is how you've inspired me. I love that. We now say we're fanatic about fans. And I think that's great. Because yeah. everything we talk about is fans. Fans first, that's our name of our company. Everything's so fanatic about fans. If you're fanatic about it, it's that same type of obsession with enthusiasm that you're exhilarated by it. Right. So you mentioned invention, and I want to talk about this, Steve, because I love Bezos makes invention part of each person's job description. You shared that. Can you explain that? Because invention is not something you think, all right, you're coming on with us. Let's talk about your inventions. Well, yeah. And the kind of the idea behind that, and I really got that from interviewing several people who had worked at Amazon. 
And what they told me was the only kind of R&D department, research and development that Amazon has is called Lab 126. And that's very specifically for hardware. That's where Kindle came out of. That's where the Fire Phone came out of. That's where Echo came out of. That's a different skill set. But at Amazon, if I'm a six-month-old employee working somewhere, I'm encouraged to look at what my job is and figure out how it can be done better and try it for me personally first. And then if it looks like it's going to work, bring it to my supervisor and say, okay, here's what I've done. Here's where I think it can be better. Here's why. Here's the data. Here's the improvement. And then literally, I could be tasked now for being the spearhead for bringing that to a bigger team, maybe a whole department. And so that mindset of always looking for improvement is what is incorporated in everybody that works at Amazon. How do you teach that? Like, you know, practicing dynamic invention, innovation, how do you teach that with a culture? Well, I think it's reinforced. And I think that's where, again, I'll go back to encourage successful failure. One of the questions I ask companies is, what's your employee bonus program for the most successful failure? Because too many businesses punish failure either overtly or covertly. That if employees know, if I try an idea and it doesn't work, that I'm going to be punished or my career is going to be damaged, I'm not going to. So it's a culture that you have to develop within your organization. And it's got to be top down. It's got to be, yes, we've got to push this. Now, I also have to say here, Amazon is intolerant of incompetence. So you are always expected to bring your A game. So if you're just doing stupid things, no, you're not going to last. But if you're doing experimentation and you're thinking through the implications and how could this be better and it doesn't work out the way you thought, one, what did you learn from it that you can share with the team, right? So they don't make the same mistakes. And how do we move this forward? I love that. It's changing the consequences dramatically of what happens. You know, Sarah Blakely, the inventor of Spanx, every day when she was a kid her, at dinner table, her dad would say, what did you fail at today? I heard that interview and I just was fascinated. I think that is kind of the core mindset that we need to have. I mean, he said, again, I believe we are the best place in the world to fail, Jeff Bezos, and failure and invention are inseparable twins. To invent, you have to experiment. If you know in advance that it's going to work, it's not an experiment. So he makes it as part of the culture. And I think that's fascinating. He also has a just do it award too, I think, like another yes. award. There's all these things that just do it, just test it, just experiment it. All right. I love it. Steve, you mentioned Lab 126. And also you talked in your book about Web Lab. Yep. Should every company have some type of lab? Yes. Explain the labs again. So as I said, so Lab 126 is where hardware was developed. And again, that's a very different skill set. But even at Lab 126, when you talk about failure at Amazon, one of their biggest failures came out of Lab 126, and it was Jeff Bezos' pet project, which was the Fire Phone. Now, when I talk about the Fire Phone, very few people even know that Amazon built a phone and tried to sell it. Why? Because it was an utter failure. <laughs> but here's what's so interesting. Like I said, his pet project, and he was kind of like, ah, darn, it didn't work. But four months after he announced the Fire Phone, he got his first demonstration of what was to become the Amazon Echo and Alexa. So all of that work with the phone was they were able to transition and pivot 
into now a device that listens to you and responds to your questions. And that was combining hardware, the Echo device, and Amazon Web Services and the machine learning, what we now know as Alexa. And so again, that's really key. The other you mentioned was WebLab. So WebLab is their testing platform for their internal operations. So a lot of website testing. So when you look at Amazon's website, I can guarantee you that there was significant testing for every single element that's on that website. In the industry, it's called A-B testing, right? So you try this version and you try that version. You send certain numbers to each. You look at the data. Did people click more here or buy more with this button or this color or this link? That's Web Lab, and they're doing hundreds of experiments every year. Again, to refine right their process but also to improve the customer experience. I love it. I love so it. when I ask people, do you shop on Amazon? Most people say yes. And then I ask why. And almost always the top one, two or three answers, it's easy. And that's very intentional. Yes. Again, that question on our group experience coordinator asked this, she said, how can we make it easier for every single person to work for us? And I was like, that's a question Amazon probably asks every single day. Every single day. And it starts to it asking, why do people come? And sometimes it's not why they say it is. They might just, oh, I just want to get out. Well, then ask why again and keep going. It's down. kind of the five the, levels of why. Five right? levels of why to, to get there. I love this, Steve. I think this is fascinating. I think what you did in your book, which was so powerful, and I can't tell enough entrepreneurs you need to read it. You have questions at the end of each chapter mm-hmm. that you can ask your team. In just the test and experiment phase, what would you say one or two of the best questions that you can ask your team to start this innovative culture? I actually would start with what are the friction points I have in my business that my customers experience? And I doubt you're going to know. And so what I recommend is some form of secret shopper, meaning a friend, go hire somebody, go get a college kid that doesn't know anything and have them go through. If it's online, have them order. If it's just calling up, have them call up and get customer service questions. I don't know what it is for your business. And then have them write down their experience. Because I'm convinced that most business owners actually don't have a clue anymore what happens. Mm. Right? I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, yeah, and because it. they may be more removed. They're not on the front line. Interestingly enough, at Amazon, Everyone, including top executives, are required to answer customer service questions for some time. Now, again, it may be just eight hours, but to keep close to what people are asking and keep close to the customer so they really understand better the process and how they can improve it. Uh, It's wonderful. As my listeners know, we started this three years ago. We do undercover fan. So every night, one of the people on our staff, including myself, goes undercover as a fan. We actually park the car with the fans. We walk in with the fans. We sit with the fans. We eat with the fans. And what I do, even though it's harder, I go incognito, but they know my voice, a lot of them. People that don't, I sit with them and say, yeah, what's the best part? What's, I've never been to a bananas game. Have you? And what do you enjoy? What are the best? You get to hear all this information by just sitting with them in their actual experience. Exactly. And not just like talk, like you have to be on next to them. And so I suspect you don't wear your no. yellow outfit, right? No, no. I go fully incognito. <laughs> I wear a regular hat, sunglasses, T-shirt. I go relax. There's actually a video. We film it every year. So when I do it and it's undercover, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. So the questions Amazon always asks, you bring this up in the book and based on looking at all the letters, you mentioned a few. 
What is the customer problem opportunity? What is the most important customer benefit? How do you know what the customer needs? What does the customer experience look like? I guess my question is, is this how a company should really evaluate what to do next? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good place to start. Now, again, your business is going to be different than what Amazon does. So you've got to translate that into what makes sense for your product mix. Maybe you're just a service consulting company, maybe whatever it is, you've got to translate that. But really thinking about, okay, one, what's my ideal customer? Two, what's their experience and how can we improve that? And what aren't we doing now that we could be doing? And I think we're recording this kind of during the pandemic crisis here in the U.S. I think there are a lot of businesses asking that question. And it was interesting, I mentioned before we started, Bezos just last weekend uh, sent a letter out to all employees, all Amazonians across the world. And, you know, he just talked about, we're in a tough time. We're in uncharted waters now. And so he's setting, kind of being realistic, And here's what we're doing. Here's all the things that we're thinking about. And he ends up saying, be safe and we will get through this together. So I think that's important too, in terms of just your own staff, when you have situations like this to communicate, you've got a plan and they can be comfortable. It's strange, it's unprecedented, and we will get through this. And here's a plan for how we're going to do that. Yeah, it's obviously great leadership. And I think it also goes into long-term thinking. Well, you talk a lot about in your I book, that how can you change short-term rewards to encourage long-term thinking? What is Amazon doing here? Well, right now, and actually what's kind of interesting is, again, given the crisis for the last several years has said, my focus is three to five to seven years out. What he said in this letter, though, is my entire thinking right now is on the pandemic. And we are meeting every day to figure out what else we can do to improve it for our own employees, right? They've got fulfillment center workers and they've got all kinds of stuff. So they're doing all kinds of things there. And at the same time, they're going, okay, I know they're thinking, what about when this is over? What are the things that we are going to need to prepare for? Their transportation system right now is under great stress right? Because the orders have skyrocketed. And he said in 1997, now think about this, we are building something important, something we can tell our grandchildren about. He said this last weekend, a few days ago, what we are doing is important to a lot of people. (laughs) And so we are prioritizing getting those essentials out to those people that count on us that can't get out. And so to me, it's just that same idea This is not just a business. This is something really important. And we have a job to do here that's important for us to do. You know, you come back to that 1997 letter and how it has everything and you share that. And I think about the big picture of this and vision casting. And Bob Iger with Disney said he did leadership by press release a lot. So what he would do is say something about the vision, what the company stands for, where they're going. My thoughts on this, just thinking like, hey, why isn't every leader sharing something, writing it down, taking the time to do a narrative like Amazon does about every year, every quarter, whatever it is, where we're going, as much for their team as it is also for their customers? Yeah. And I actually think the shareholder letters, as you said, are as much for the employees as for the shareholders. Yes. And certainly those outside. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think for most businesses, They aren't used to thinking deeply and writing it down. And at Amazon, writing, again, we could go into this, but writing is such a core cultural mindset. 
they write things down because they believe it's important and they believe the process of writing it down helps you think better. One of your principles is making complexity simple too. Yep. I mean, that's probably an area of how you do it. You're right. As also a writer going through this process, the more you write, you're like, all right, that doesn't make as much sense. Let's keep going or pivot and change. Pivot or, yeah. Yeah. Well, I said I pivoted from the original book to what this book was. And so that was very interesting mindset thought process. I love it. I want to keep going with a few more things. Type one, type two decisions, 70% rule. I think that's good for every company to know as well. Yeah. So high velocity decision making. And I think we're seeing that here at Amazon over the last month or so. It's interesting to me to look at, they announced, and I don't remember the timeline right now, but just a week or two ago that they were hiring 100,000 additional employees to help with this huge volume increase, you know, as people are at home and ordering more and being able to get those out. And he says in this particular, the most recent letter, we hope that we want those people who are out of a job, restaurant workers and others that are temporarily laid off, come work for us in the meantime until your job comes back. And so again, thinking in decision-making process, they can make decisions quickly. They don't have to think about and go multiple layers. So that's interesting just in our current situation. But Bezos breaks decisions into two, type one, type two, as you said. Type one decisions are big kind of bet the farm decisions. And you make those slowly, intentionally with as much data as you possibly can get. Type two decisions are quick and easily reversible. And that's the difference. Type one decisions are hard to reverse once made. Type two decisions are easily reversible. And so move forward, default to action. At Amazon, they don't have lots of layers of approval. Mm. They push down, again, that experimenting mindset helps them push down decisions to lower and lower level so they can make decisions quickly. And we're seeing that now just in how they've been able to pivot much faster than any other business that I can think of. I forget which letter it is, but you shared in one of his letters that one of his big fears was that as you get bigger, the decisions slow down because they're seen as heavyweight decisions. We're only five years old with Savannah Bananas. Obviously, we've been doing this for a lot longer. But I remember our staff called it the wild, wild west when we first started because yeah. no one knew who we were. We're like, let's throw out that video. Let's throw out that video. Let's throw out that video. And now because we've built a bigger following that we think, ooh, our videos always have to be to this standard or to this thing. We're not constant. It does, in fact, slow us down. How do you change that mindset within a staff to say, hey, they're not as heavyweight decisions. Let's keep rolling. Well, I think Amazon has a couple tools that help with that. One is what's called two pizza teams. So the idea of two pizza teams is that a team should be no bigger than you can feed with two large pizzas. So that's probably eight to 12 people. With my team, it's probably four. Okay. Well, you know, manage that. But, <laughs> and the idea there is small teams move faster. Yes. Now, they may have hundreds of teams like that at Amazon for a big project right? But every team is responsible for their piece of that project. And so the idea is, honestly, if you don't trust that team to make decisions without kind of higher level approval, then you need to get a different team. Yes. Right? Yes. And again, understanding they're going to make mistakes. And one of the leadership principles at Amazon, so different than the growth principles, but their leadership principles is disagree and commit. Meaning it's often hard to get 100% agreement. But he says he does this often. He says, I don't agree with this decision. I don't going to work. But I commit, if that's what you think we should do, I disagree and fully commit to supporting you in every way. And I hope I'm wrong. 
And that does so much as a leader, Steve, because I remember vividly when I was with my first team and I said, hey, we're going to have a game at midnight on a Friday night. And the owner was like, what are you talking about? Friday nights are our biggest nights, biggest revenue, biggest fans. Why would you put it at midnight? And I was like, because it's something new. It's something different. We can go after a group we've never got before. The second shift, the third shift. He goes, I don't think it's going to work, but I trust you'll do it. You better believe from my standpoint, I worked my butt off to make it work. To make it, absolutely. I, I called every company in the world and we sold out the game. And yeah. he was like, I was wrong. So by taking that, I commit. I disagree, I commit. They almost wanted this prove mindset. I'm going to do it, which is not a bad thing. No, it's not. And what Bezos says is, if that team had to con- take the time to convince me, they believe in it. It slows the process. Yeah. And so yeah. again, defaulting to action is yeah. better than 100% perfect. And you mentioned the 70% formation. Bezos says that you should make decisions with at most 70% of the information you wish you had because you'll never have 100%. I love it. I love it. And again, it's moving, it's failing, it's iterating, it's success, it's doing more, right? It's that process. And frankly, the biggest problem in a successful company is that they're successful because there's a natural tendency to protect what got us there. Yes. Not, right? Like your owner, you just said, Friday night's our best night. That's what got us here, right? We have to protect that as opposed to experimenting. Well, maybe there's something else we can do just one night, right? Let's try it. Yes. It's always the small test. And I think that's why I love this so much because I think the companies that I talk to and I work with, it's like, ooh, that sounds too crazy for us. That sounds like, what's the worst thing that will happen? Right. Like when we came out with Dolce & Banana underwear and actually did a whole ad with our guy wearing a black and white commercial pouring water over his head, we had a few fans like, you guys went too far. But most of them were like, this was fun. And now we sell underwear. I mean, people are buying underwear, which doesn't make any sense for a baseball team. But it was because of a small bet where we didn't take ourselves too seriously. I think that's right. so important. I do want to go, before we finish up here, I want the high standards. I think this yes. is really important in bringing people on board, the high standards. You said uh, during hiring meetings, they ask certain questions. Do you remember those? Can you share those? Because those were fascinating. I do. And I actually am going to... Real quick, it's in the 2008 letter that he identifies, and he actually in 1997 letter, he talks about hiring. And one of the things he says is, we're going to default to ownership. You need employees to think like owners. Mm. But in the 98 letter, he talks more about hiring and this focus on high standards. And what's amazing to me is, how has Amazon been able to continue to grow? like they have. They have kind of almost 700,000 employees at the end of 2019. But he writes, during our hiring meetings, we ask people to consider three questions before making a decision. So real quickly, three are, one, will you admire this person? So it's not about skills. It's not about abilities. It's about the person and who they are. Will you admire them if they become part of your team? Second question is, will this person raise the average level of effectiveness of the group they're entering? So that is this idea of focus on high standards. And elsewhere, Bezos says, this is a hard place to work. We have high standards here, but high standards, he goes on to explain, attracts others with high standards. So A players want to work with A players. B players don't want to hire A players because they make them look bad. And that's the idea behind it. And then interestingly, the third question is, along what dimension might this person be a superstar? And again, not skills focused, but what else can this person bring to the team? 
and it may not be work skill related. And the example he uses in the letter is that there's an employee at the time who was a national spelling bee champion. And he says, it just is fun to be able to walk down the hall and ask the individual to spell onomatopoeia. <laughs> Even ask today. But part of the mindset there is, in what other way are these people creative? Because they'll bring that creativity into their work. I love it. I mean, today, Amazon at their headquarters has a full orchestra that's volunteer, that people who play instruments come and play, and they play concerts a couple times a month, right? Just, it all goes to that creativity that's necessary for experimentation and invention. I love it. You know, our director of film and production, he's a singer, plays guitar. And we didn't know that at first. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I can sing that. Singing songs for our music videos. We're like, this is amazing. And we never knew that. And I think that diversity, that creativity, and for us, we haven't hired anybody in the baseball industry. We've hired people outside and people that have started as interns right out of college because we don't want people that think the traditional way. It's like, how much does Amazon want people from Walmart? It's a different kind of mindset thinking. All right, I want to finish with a little bit of rapid fire. I'm going to get practical with a game here right now, a couple of games here. Jeff Bezos, based on his letters, Steve, he's running a baseball team like ours, okay? And the baseball team has sold their games. I'm getting very, very personal and practical. <laughs> you want some great help here. I'll, I'll I want do my some best. help because I'm reading through this, and I think a lot of people are looking for help. Their next move. Using some of your principles that you developed, where would he look next if he was running a baseball team? Based on the letters, what would you think? So what comes to mind is Amazon Web Services. So again, a little bit of background that may help you think. Again, mid-2000s, Amazon had a problem. Their IT infrastructure internally was a bottleneck for experimentation and invention. People had to go to IT to get things done. And so actually made a mandate that we will no longer do that. We will distribute that. And IT is responsible for building the tools that other departments need. Here's the idea. So they did. And so all of their website, all of their e-commerce, all of the stuff they had built, they realized they had become really good at managing computing infrastructure. So that's where AWS came about. At one point, they had a meeting. They said, you know, we're really good at this. There might be other people who would want to tap into what we're good at so they don't have to do it. That's where AWS grew out of. It's, again, multi-billion dollar business now. Are there things you're really good at that others could tap into. And here's the key. Maybe it's not baseball, right? You have to decide whether you want to make that pivot or not. But AWS is not a core e-commerce website platform. It's over here. But they realized we're really good at it. And they were able then to leverage that same idea into a whole second business. And frankly, as Warren Buffett said, It's highly unusual for a company to be successful in multiple different areas like that. And again, I don't know, but maybe it's, you said video, maybe it's marketing. I don't know that you want to do that, but maybe there's a team you can build over there starting small that might be something different that you can bring. You started the question you asked is about the friction points and customer experience, but also if you've solved your own problem. Mm-hmm. So for us on how to map the experience and how to create and have these idea paloozas. So we started teaching that. We started hosting workshops, started hosting keynotes. Okay. So you're how- already starting down that particular way. So yeah, if you can solve your own problem, it's not necessarily your customers. 
if there's a problem that you've solved internally for yourself, other people are probably going. So I think that's a pretty good innovation there to think for companies as well, which I love. And again, I think in terms of specifically baseball, it's just continuing to look at, I mean, Amazon's core business, the e-commerce business, in some ways, pretty much the same as it has been. It's just bigger. Yeah, they started it's, selling books. And actually books, they started just because it was the easiest place to start. Yes. But he iterated more. And so maybe it's other areas, we could do the same thing for other cities, for yes. example. Yes. Right. And again, part of it is how much do we want to scale? And start with small bets. And I think it's good. Know what you're the best at. Know how you can serve best. And yes, we've evolved, come up with a faster baseball game that we're actually going to start potentially bringing to different cities, one city at a time right. as a small bet. So I see the same thing. and I'm just fascinated by it. So, all right. I've been grilling you for a while. That was a tough one, Steve. You get to grill me now. It is flip the script. You are the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. Okay. I got a first note from you, handwritten note, one pretty interesting, a handwritten note. And I haven't got too many of those from people who've read the book. And you had talked about fan first, right? Yes. So it's kind of correlating with customer obsession. Where did that come from? How in your kind of development, you said you started out struggling, my word, utter failure in the beginning, right? What impacted you in your thinking to be able to kind of make that shift? And obviously, it's been successful now, but at the time, it was scary, I would assume. I've actually never been asked that question, never shared this before, but geez, almost eight or nine years ago, I started my own company called Team Cole and Associates. It sounded like a law firm or accounting service or whatever. And it was about helping teams and coming up with ideas. And we kept saying, that's not saying who we serve and what we do. What could be a name of our company that would actually really cover what we do and how we think? So we named it Fans First Entertainment. And then we said, all right, what's our mission? Fans first, entertain always. What's every decision we make? Is it fans first? What do we want our people always thinking? Fans first, entertain always. And now, as we know, right now, we're pivoting even more thinking about entertain always as people are at home and going through the virus and everything. So that whole fans first, entertain always, we simplified it to make it kind of who we are. And so that customer obsession into that fans first, who are you talking about? Don't talk about your product. Talk about who you serve over and over again, just like Bezos did in the letters. So tremendous question. I love it. I want to finish with two final ones here. What's a quick win? Someone today, they can hear this and get off and say, you know what? I'm going to let's talk to my team. I'm going to do this to become a more innovative culture like Amazon. Start thinking like Jeff Bezos. Some ideas you might have had that you want to experiment with. Maybe a new product, maybe a new service, something that you could do that's small. And here's what I would encourage as part of that thinking. If you have a new idea, a new product, a new service, something you want to try, the first step is actually to write it out. So Amazon has a process called a six-page narrative. And I actually just did this for a project I'm working on two weeks ago. So we were presenting to a group of people looking for some investors and the small group I was working with, I convinced them to not do a traditional PowerPoint presentation, but actually to write out a narrative. So at Amazon, PowerPoint keynote is banned. Never. It's the fastest way to get fired at Amazon is to come in with a PowerPoint. What they do do is a narrative. And so we wrote a future press release. And I dated it this fall. Here's what we're releasing today. Really forces you to think through all of the iterations. What is it actually that you think you're putting together? And then the second piece that we did was a FAQ. So frequently asked questions. And we did customer first. There were like four parties that could be involved with this project. And we started creating, what are the questions? What's the simple answer? Literally almost one sentence answer. And then what's the discussion about the answer? What's the little tale? 
what it is you think you're actually creating as opposed to, oh, we have this great idea and all of a sudden we end up not where we thought we were because we didn't think through it. When you look at Amazon and their invention process, that is key to their success because one, it helps them think through beforehand. And two, if it doesn't work out the way they thought, they now have a document to go back to to say, what did we miss? What did we not understand? And so that after action review is built into the process. And that's how you can learn and iterate. Uh Now, it was the hardest thing I've done in a long time, (laughs) right? I had written about it. I had not actually done it. And it was incredibly powerful. So I presented literally physical paper. I did not send it out beforehand. I did a quick five-minute introduction. Here's what we're going to do. I handed it out to, there were about 20 people in the meeting. And I said, we're spending the first 15 minutes and you were to read this to yourself and make notes of questions that you have on the paper. 15 minutes, quiet. And then I opened it up. What are your questions? And what'd you learn? Oh my gosh. Great questions. Literally everybody was on the same page. And what was fascinating is it was probably an hour and a half discussion. And later people would have a question and somebody would say, oh, that's question seven. So people were referring back to the handout and the discussion was so much richer as opposed to kind of an information, people interrupting with questions. And so let's get it all out. Here's all the data. Here's what we think. Now, what are your questions? And it was much more focused and productive discussion. And now you're ready to rock and roll. Now we're ready to rock and roll. Do the hard things early so it becomes easier later. And that's one of the ways that Amazon works fast. And I'll tell you, Steve, you've inspired me again. And you may not know it, but what's going to happen is that I'm going to send you a narrative. I'm going to send you a future press release and some FAQs of our next big step. And I think that is something that everybody can do. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. The inspiration, what your book's done today. This is something that every business owner should put into practice right now. So Steve, just thank you so much for sharing so much. Oh, Jesse, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.